Hello and welcome to HBC's M5 podcast. It's that time every week where we talk about the music, the ministry, yesterday's message, our mission, and anything else that is on your mind. And I'm your host, John Wilson, and our audio engineer extraordinaire, Miss Becca Smith, is back in the studio with us. So, woohoo, we're excited about that. You don't have to listen to me produce the show uh, and talk at the same time. And we're joined again this week by our lead pastor, Pastor Aaron Wallace. Great to see everybody this morning. You can see them. That is, I can it, see them. It is amazing. Uh, that is part of part of his giftings. He can see you guys listening to us at home, and we are really excited about that. You know, our conversation last week uh, uh, was just so good about the message that you know I, th- I thought um, we would maybe start again there this week, um, and maybe for you guys listening at home, we'll we'll try to wrap it up a little bit more succinctly. But man, the topics were just so rich that I, I actually really enjoyed our discussion last week. It was just fun to get to to get to talk through those things. Yeah, it's kind of what we originally said we were going to do every week, so it's kind of good to sit back and just get into the message a little bit. Yeah, it's good. And and we know that there's a lot of times you guys at home, um, you're, you're here on a Sunday morning, and you're, I'm sure, feverishly taking notes, and uh, there's just things that are on your mind. And that is, that is in fact, actually also why we uh, give you the opportunity to write in and ask questions for this podcast. And uh, I will say we, we had a question come in this, this week. Um, we're going to hold it a week. Uh, it, it's going to take a little bit of research. It wasn't directly related to uh, to this week or a previous week's message, so we need a little bit of time to dig in to be able to answer it uh, effectively. But I just wanted to say for everybody that's listening, like that that is the reason that we take questions and that there is a link out there for you to submit your questions both in the podcast or in the app on Sunday mornings is because we know that there's just stuff that you know you're writing down or thinking about, and we, we, we don't get a chance to answer on Sunday morning. So write us, and we would be glad... We'd be glad to talk about it. So yesterday, so the you know we were in John chapter nine. Uh, we're, we're talking about the man who was blind from birth, and and the sort of crux of of that passage, right? Is you know you got Jesus's disciples asking him, you know, why why is it that this man is blind? Is it because his parents sinned? Is it because he sinned? And Jesus's response in verse three is that it's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And, and that's really, I think, where you spent most of the time for, for the message. And, uh, you know, I love the video that you showed of Nick. Where did you find that, by the way? That was fantastic. Uh, I just came across it. Uh, gosh, I probably saw it a couple weeks ago um, and didn't even think about how it would relate to the message that was coming up. And uh, as I was studying, I, it just kind of reminded me I was reading uh, the text and I remembered how much of his testimony was out of uh, John chapter nine. And so I went back and watched it again and was like, okay, this is fantastic. This will be perfect for the message. It's amazing how, you know, and and I don't know that people always realize this, but because we preach exegetically through a book of the Bible, you're always reading ahead. You're always reading whole sections of, you know, of a book to prepare to teach a specific part of it. And I think that's one of, one of the joys of that is like you, you're reading ahead and you're going, okay, like, I'm, I'm thinking about this or something comes up somewhere else and you're able to pull it in as a great resource because, you know, you know where you're going. Yep. Now that, that is definitely a benefit of uh, preaching that way is um, you just have lots of time to think on it, to pray about it, to meditate on it. Um, that's, you know, everybody asks, you know, how much time do you have to prep? I mean, a lot of the time for me during the week is just literally just rolling through the scriptures over and over in my mind as I'm driving, uh, there's moments where it's quiet, um, just spending tons of time 
thinking about his, his word. And so it's why it's important we read it, reread it, read it again, and let him let him speak to us. Yeah, so I, I, you brought up, you know, obviously you, sh- you showed that video yesterday. You also, you know, brought up Job. I think that's the, like, immediate, you know, biblical connection to this this passage, right, where Job is afflicted and his friends are trying to, they're, they're trying to sort out and, and you know, well, we'll give them some benefit of the doubt and say that they had some good intent, but they had poor methods because <laughs> uh, they did they did come and they sat with Job for a while and they commiserated with them before they ever opened their mouths. But then they, they can't seem to work out how it is that he's afflicted in this way. And they they blame it on his his sin. And yet in this passage with this man that was blind from birth, we see Jesus saying it, it's not that this man sinned. It's not that his parents sinned. It's that the glory of God might be displayed in him. And I, and I think for me listening to it, and we were driving back from the ski retreat, so I was listening and just thinking about this, but, and maybe for others, like the question in my mind is like, how, how do we know? Like, because, because I think the opposite is also true. Like sometimes people's affliction is absolutely because of their sin. The, the situation that they find themselves in is because of their sin or something that someone else has done that the, the ramifications, the consequences of that sin is the affliction that they find themselves in. So, so how do we, how do we navigate that? Like if, if it could be, if it could be either. Well, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I think what you have to do is you, you've got to, when you come up against something that is afflicting you or you feel oppressed or you feel like, you know, you're in some form of discipline, you know, you're asking that question of, mm. Why? I think a good place to start when you're asking the why is to see if there's a wicked way in us. You know, I think it's um, kind of what David uh, obviously went through. And you have, uh, when you look at places like Psalm 51, you see this internal search. Uh, You see this uh, time where he recognized, and obviously it came through someone who confronted him in his sinfulness, but he had to wrestle with it. He had to come to the conclusion that it was he that sinned against God. And, um, so I think obviously that's the starting place for us is, Lord, search, Lord, shine light into my life. If there is a wicked way in me, something that I need to repent of, I need to confess, you know, I think it's great to begin there. I think it's great to ask that question. Um, but then you come to places like with Job where when he did look at his life, when he did prayerfully consider, mm. he recognized not that he was somehow sinless uh, and had reached some form of perfection, but that he had walked uprightly before God and I think for us as believers, the way that we do that is, you know, that that we have confessed. Uh, it's not whether or not we can look and is there some sin in the recent days of our life. We'll always probably be able to see those or find those. But for most of us, you know, we've gone back to the Lord and we've confessed it and we've given it to uh, to Christ who is able and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And just like Job, you know, he continually went before the Lord and he made sacrifice, you know, even before the law, he had some understanding of atonement, of covering, and so he would atone for his family, um, atone for his children, and I think he recognized, he knew that there was no glaring sin in his life that had gone unnoticed or had become a besetting sin for him, and so I think he confidently stood before the Lord knowing that there wasn't a correlation between the two. Yeah, so you you immediately took it to a place that I think is probably the most interesting thing about this discussion, and so like let's go there because I I think when I don't know I'll just speak for myself I won't speak for everybody else when when I read this passage my tendency is to think about 
because maybe it's because the the man in the in the passage is not blind from birth, maybe it, or is blind from birth, and I'm not blind, or maybe it's because the disciple like the way they ask the questions. But I I immediately like in my mind think about navigating this with another person. But in reality, like where you went was like this ought to be how we navigate this internally in ourselves, not just, you know, how do I determine whether someone else is, you know, in sin and how do I help restore them? But how do I look at myself and see where I'm at? How do I search, you know, myself and and go to God and say, you know, like, show me these, these wicked ways in me. And like, I, I think that there's, I think that that's a really, for folks listening at home, that's a really interesting discussion. Like, don't, we shouldn't always just apply things to other people. We need to, we need to apply them to ourselves. And we need to, when we look at a story in scripture, we need to understand, okay, is this meant to be an example for how I'm supposed to search myself or some action I'm supposed to take or something I'm supposed to do? So why, like practically, what, what does that look like? If, if our own affliction and nobody knows our affliction better than us, right? Like we're, we're trying to figure out how do I, apply this to somebody else. But if I apply it internally, like nobody knows my affliction better than me. I'm, I'm the most capable person aside from God to be able to search myself and see why am I going, why am I going through this and how do I need to navigate it? Like what, what would you tell somebody that, you know, kind of finds themselves in that place where maybe they're not blind from birth. Maybe they're not like the guy on the video that we watched that, you know, has, you know, no, no hands or no feet and is trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But maybe there is something like Job where we can look at our life and go, this is clearly not how things are supposed to be. Like, what, what do I do with that? There's something to be said for accountability. I think one of the things is once you've really searched yourself, um, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with going to another person and, and saying, or are there, is there anything in my life that I'm missing? Is there anything in my life that I'm not seeing. I think that we all need that individual in our life to speak into us. Um, but I also do think that in, in this huge glaring question of this man's life, um, you know, I think he needed some form of an answer to this for himself. Mm. This is the question not only he asked, but was continually probably being asked of him. He was probably hearing this theological debate around him, not just this for the first time with the disciples. It probably been asked of him. I'm sure he even may have heard his parents say, I wonder what we did to cause something like this. Hmm. I think there were probably a lot of people out in the congregation yesterday that that's how they have viewed life. Um, you know, if, if someone has a child that that is handicapped or someone has a child that, uh, you know, is lost, uh, maybe in the pregnancy, if someone, um, you know, has this, this issue as a parent looking at their child, you know, how many parents I've, I've counseled that have said, you know, did I do something to deserve this? And, you know, it's, I, I just think that the thing is, there's a danger in continually thinking that there's this tit for tat, there's this, yeah. this, you know, causation that every time something negative happens, it's a direct result of, of, of a sin that I've committed. And somehow they are correlated together consistently. Um, our starting place is we know all sin uh, causes destruction. We mm-hmm. know that everything we face in some general way has to do with sin. Um, but I don't think he intends for us to sit back and everything that happens to us, there's an instant, you know, God is punishing me. Um, God is judging me. Um, and I think that's the hard part about other people looking into our lives. It's impossible for them to really see, you know, I think sometimes only the Holy Spirit can, 
convict us of those things because those friends of Job's, they were convinced. I mean, they were trying to come up with sin uh, to help him uh, have some <laughs> answer for what he was doing. And the reality was uh, his conscience was clear, yet they kept trying to convince and they just added to his anguish. You know, it just kept taking him deeper and deeper into hurt and pain and brokenness um, to where, you know, you saw his own patience wearing thin because uh, he is now grappling. They've now put this weight upon him um, that I don't think was there until the, the friend showed up. It was just pain. It was just him suffering. And now uh, he's having to deal with the ramifications of, did I do something that cost the life of my children, um, that cost the life of my livelihood and everything that's important to this family? Um, and I, that's an extra big weight to carry. I hope some people were free yesterday from even those, those personal thoughts of, uh, did these things happen in my life because I did, I did this. Um, so, yeah. And it, well, it strikes me that like, at least in part, sometimes that, that sort of mentality is, is fueled by sort of a wrong minded opinion of who God is. Right. Like we, I think we can all be tempted at some points to, you know, to view God in this sort of, you know, vengeful way because we know he's just and we know he's righteous and and we know that he does punish sin. And so, but then we get like an, like an extra vengeful view of him where it's like, uh, well, wait a minute. Like, you know, does he discipline the one he loves? Yes, he does. That's, I mean, the Bible very clearly says that his, his discipline is because he loves us, but that doesn't mean that, you know, that it's, just for punishment's sake, it's for restoration and it's for correction. And so I think that becomes a good lens. We can look at the situation that we're going through, through too, is like, is this something that is meant to get my attention and for what reason? Or, you know, if, if it just feels vengeful, maybe, maybe it's just the result of just living in a world full of sin that, that we live in. Well, I think everybody has to reflect when these moments come up. It's it's going to send you into reflection. I mean, there's just no way around it. If there's war, if there's, you know, things happening, you know, hurricanes, uh, like we yeah. talked about with Katrina or whatever, you know, I think there's always that moment that, that issues in life bring us back towards dependency. God is and can use all of those things. Mm-hmm. And, and I think ultimately this is where we have to wrestle. We talked yesterday about sovereignty, and we've got to wrestle with sovereignty too, Um that ultimately we can say God causes all of these things, allows all of these things. Um, it's part of his purposes. It's part of his, his plans um, for us. And, you know, sometimes I think even getting back to that place is the most healthy place that he, he formed this man, knit him together. He was blind at birth. It was part of God's purpose and plan. God didn't happen upon it and go, oh, man, here's an yeah, accident, an accident. mistake. Yep. Uh, that occurred, um, he purposed it from the beginning. This man was allowed to be born this way um, for this moment in time when God was going to do this glorious thing in and through him. And so um, I I think this comes back to that trust that all that God does is good, even Mm -hmm. when it's discipline, it's good. Um, Because I I, I think the connotation of this is almost, if we're not careful, it, it attacks God's Goodness. goodness. It attacks yeah. God's um, grace towards us and his mercy towards us. It attacks uh, the very character of God if we're not careful because we begin, begin to malign him um, as if he's done something wrong, as if he's punished us more than we deserve. Um, I think more than anything, what we see is him desiring to bless. I think you see it in the way that Jesus dealt with sinners 
directly. You know, I mean, if God's attitude was constantly where the sin is great and the punishment's going to be even greater, or I'm going to come in with no mercy, no grace, you know, just go back into chapter eight. We have the woman caught in adultery who was mm-hmm. thrown at the feet of Jesus. And uh, you see God's heart. You see his desire was for forgiveness and uh, for her to be restored. He said, go and sin no more, but he didn't pick up a rock and, and throw it at her. And that would have been an ample opportunity for God to do it and to say and to prove, I'm just in doing it. I can obey the law here. Um, and and so uh, when you see what does God want to do with our sin, I think it's better for us to see it nailed to a cross. I think it's better to see that he became sin for us, mm-hmm. uh, the one who knew no sin, and um, he's constantly reaching out to us. Yeah, I, th- I think, and maybe this is where, maybe this is where we'll wrap up the discussion about yesterday and and move on in topics. But I, I think maybe the last thought that we'll end on is like it has a lot to do with how we view affliction. Like if I view affliction as you know this actually is a good thing and it is for God's glory, or if I view affliction as you know, like Western, our Western mindset is just like, if there's anything that's uncomfortable or bad or, you know, any of that, that happens, like it must be that it must mean that something is wrong. Something is broken. Uh, And the truth of the matter is that, that we can be afflicted and it be entirely for good. It is for our good and for his glory. And so some of it like is, okay, how do I view the situation that I'm in? And am I looking for not just the escape from whatever that is, but, how God intends to use it for good, how he intends to use it for his glory. And do I, do I lean into that? Yeah, I can promise you it's, it's intended to draw you close. Yeah. Um, I think, I think it's always God's intention with these things. He puts us in desperate places for dependence. He puts us in desperate places so that we will cry out and, and abide with him even more. And so, you know, I I don't want us to bypass the fact that God will put pressure just like any good parent on a child who's wayward to get us back in the place that, that we need to be. But it's not meant, you know, his objective isn't the devil. The devil will take the same issue and he's going to try to steal, kill and destroy Mm. um, and tempt us uh, in, in the thing that we're going through. You turn around and what God's doing, you know, according to James, uh, you know, God is testing us. He's, he's not doing it in an effort to destroy, he's doing it in an effort to purify and, and to bring us to maturity and to refine us. And so I, I think we just have to view it that way. That's the clearest thing to me is, is you see James chapter one, I think worked out most clearly in this story and in the story of Job, where, you know, when you sit back and you say, well, was it the devil or was it God? Yes. <laughs> yes. The, the devil came with temptation, meaning and intending to steal, kill and destroy. God allowed the same exact thing and was working through the same exact circumstance in order that Job might in the end be able to count it all joy, knowing that God was maturing him and growing him, and that ultimately uh, God came back and restored and blessed uh, and, and doubled everything in his life. Um, and, and Job, I'm sure, spent the rest of his days honoring and glorifying, and, and he grew in his knowledge and understanding of God, of his sovereignty, and I think that's where he's always just trying to get us back to. Yeah, it's such a it's such a great perspective, and I think, you know, with that conversation around restoration, you know, and that 
and that connection back to God, I think is a great segue to, to talk about our sort of remaining topic for this morning, which is that next Sunday, um, we have a chance to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, and you kind of referenced it uh, yesterday, as you were talking about baptism and the Lord's Supper, is just sort of the the ordinances that that we have to be able to um, celebrate new life in Christ and to remember Christ's sacrifice uh, for us. And I, I, you know, this was a topic in our in our staff meeting maybe a month ago. But um, part of the reason I wanted us to talk about this this morning is because a lot of times I, I don't think people know that we're going to do the Lord's Supper until the morning that they show up. And we spend a lot of time talking about how we ought to take the Lord's Supper and, you know, and, you know, even thinking about, um, you know, even thinking about where you get the instructions in, in Corinthians for that and, and to not take it in an unworthy manner. But, like, I want to give people ample time. They got all week, if they're listening to this on Monday, to think about, you know, coming into Sunday ready to take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. So what do you, what do you think that, what does that mean to you? Like, how do we, how do we consider taking the Lord's Supper in a, in a worthy manner? Well, you know, if you go back and look at the original context there in Corinthians, where it's given in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, you know, there was a lot of things going on during that time that, were happening specific to that church. You know, yep. they would always share this feast together and this this time of fellowship. And you know, sometimes it was as simple as they weren't waiting on one another, um, or it was all being consumed before everybody had a chance to even get there and to celebrate it uh, together. You know, so he's he's reminding them that this is meant to be done in fellowship with the believers, with the church itself. Um, I think there's other aspects of it that are in there where you know this is a time to remember. Um, I think we come to the table reverently. I think we come to the table expectantly that, that we are going to be reminded of the goodness of God, that he would send his son, that his son would come in this new covenant. You know, we were under the law before. Uh, obviously, when you look at the, the Lord's Supper, um, it is in our understanding where the Old Testament, we looked at God delivering the people out of Egypt. We looked at him, how he... Uh, through the blood of the lamb that was put over the doorpost, uh, we commemorate that um, the, the firstborn was spared and that God ultimately delivered them from this slavery that they were in. And you fast forward to the New Testament, and uh, we go from the law to, to God's grace, and here is Christ with his broken body and his blood shed uh, and, and his blood you know, reminding us of this new covenant that we have of, of grace. And so, you know, we, we need to spend time coming to the table thinking about all that he's done, thinking about how he's delivered us. So much of Israel's calendar was set up so that they wouldn't forget, because um, that's the easiest thing for us to do is we walk through life without thinking. We walk through life without remembering. We walk through life without evaluating ourselves, and it brings us back to this place where we can ask ourselves honestly, um, what am I doing with the grace that has been shown to me? Am I continuing to sin so that grace may abound? Am I, am I finding myself with these besetting sins and I, I'm, I'm captive again when Christ says that I'm free? And so, you know, we spend time before the Lord's Supper evaluating. Just what we talked about a moment ago about how do we deal with things that are coming to our life. You evaluate, you slow yeah. down, you stop, you ask the Lord to shine light into the dark places and... Um, you know, hopefully we all stand up from remembering and we all stand up from the Lord's table and we're closer to him and 
we've again brought those sins and brought those stumblings and brought those failures back to him and reminded ourselves that this is under Christ. This is this is uh, not only did he take our sins, but we've been given this righteousness and and it's meant to be a covering for us, you know, knowing that we're sinners, we're trusting Christ that he died and took our sins and we've been given his righteousness, but there's also a, a righteousness that we desire uh, an affection for that which is holy and good because he has saved us. And so it's just getting us back to that, back to that place again. Yeah. It's meant to, it's meant to draw us, you know, closer to, to, to Christ, closer to God and, and conform us more into his image, but also I think draw us closer together with other believers. Like there's a reason that this is something that we take collectively together because it's, it continues to knit the, the body of the church together. And I think, the way that we celebrate the Lord's Supper has a lot to do with, you know, with how united we are as a body as we each seek forgiveness, as we seek restoration, Lord, uh, with with God, and also with with each other. Yeah, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, growing up in church, one of the things I remember most about the Lord's Supper, um, and I kind of always look at the audience sometimes, the, the congregation, to see what they're doing during this time, because I think I think what needs to happen when we take the Lord's Supper is that we spend time in prayer, individually or mm. collectively, maybe as a family or a group of us uh, that maybe kind of broke apart there to to pray and ask God, you know, are there sins that I need to confess right now? Uh, where are the places that I'm not living in victory? When you've said I can be victorious, these mm. things that you've said are dead, are they really dead in me? Um, so we, it gives us the chance to repent. It gives us the chance to uh, come to grips with the real condition of where we are and where we need Christ to work. And I think the other side of it is not only are we inwardly looking, but we're outwardly trying to understand, am I in right relationship? Obviously, Jesus' starting point was, you know, if you come to the altar, you know, leave your gift and go and reconcile yeah, to a brother, brother who has yeah. something against you or you have something against them. And, you know, I think that's another great place to... To come to the table and be sure that um, we recognize that not only has it freed us from sin, but it's reconciled us to God. And because we're reconciled to God, He calls us to a ministry of reconciliation to each other. So we've got to be right with Him. We've got to be right with each other. And so I think those are two ways to come to the table and and to evaluate those things and to look at those things. Um, I think sometimes, you know, the person may not be standing there that that we immediately need to to deal with. And, you know, I think some people take the position of, you know, I'm not going to take the Lord's Supper until I do. Uh, I don't necessarily hold that position. I think what it is, you get it right in your heart. Yeah. I think that it's giving you the chance. I think you still can come to the table and celebrate that you've been forgiven and set free. You've set your mind to forgive. And, and I think what's important is you leave that humble moment. You leave that position remembering and you go and, and do what he's asked you to do. Um, because the reality is you're coming to the table with sin and it's not just sin against others. It, it is many times something that, I mean, obviously all sin is before the Lord and you're going to take the Lord's Supper that day knowing it's not an issue of am I worthy in the sense of have I come here today with some kind of sinless perfection? The answer for everybody in that room is no. no. Yeah. Um, but I've come today remembering what he's done. I'm walking away a changed person having remembered and, and I'm going to obey and do the things that he's commanded me to do. And so we have to take it worthily. It's not that we come 
you know, and we are worthy in one way that we're clothed in his righteousness. There is that element of it, but, you know, we, we leave that place more committed uh, to trusting and to following and to believing him for what he told us. Well, and I think there's an element of like, we, we are clothed in his righteousness and we need to continually clothe ourselves in his righteousness. And I think this is an opportunity to do that. I think, you know, one of the things that's been on my mind lately is that like, I think sometimes we, we sell ourselves short of the, of the freedom that we're meant to have in Christ. And it's because we're hanging on to things that have been forgiven and, and, you know, God stands there ready through Christ to, to forgive us. If, if only we would just recognize the moment and turn to him and, and ask to be cleansed of it. And, and, you know, being in Christ and being saved. And yet we don't recognize the freedom of that because we're hanging on to things that have already been forgiven. And this becomes, you know, things like the Lord's Supper become just a moment where we can pause and we can reflect and we can say, where am I, where am I not, you know, walking in, in forgiveness and redemption because I'm holding on to something that, that Christ has already saved me from, forgiven me from. Yeah. It's meant to be a celebratory meal that we share together, remembering what Christ has done. And I think if we always go back to the fact, and there's several elements in our life, I think peace is this way. And, and there are other facets of our, of our salvation that this rings true with that, it's both positional and practical, you know? So positionally I come before Christ remembering what he did for me and the fullness of it, that he took my sin and he gave me his righteousness, but also my burning desire, part of the the transition and the, and the change that has occurred, the transformation in my life is that now I hunger and I thirst for righteousness. So I want to identify those places. I want Christ to identify those places, the spirit to illuminate for me where those areas of my life where the devil may still have a stronghold or where I haven't truly repented of this. And it gives us that chance uh, to, to recognize where we are positionally and ask the Lord to work it out practically. I, I want to just kind of in closing, I, I want to address a question that I frequently get in the, in the next steps class. And maybe we could talk about it for just a second as we close out. Cause I think it's directly related to this, but people often ask like, why do we do the Lord's supper when we do, why don't we do it? every week because maybe they are part of a church or a tradition growing up where they did it. And every time the church meets, um, and, and I, I have a way that I typically answer this question, but I'm curious, like, I'm curious. Well, let's what hear your answer. <laughs> You're always asking me, let's hear your answer, John. Well, my, my answer that I provide, you know, having not been the one that established the, the cadence or the tradition of why we do it when we do it is, is exactly what we're talking about is that I, I believe that, one, I don't believe that Christ's instruction is every time we meet, we're to observe it. It's when we observe it, we're to do it in remembrance of him. So I don't think it's a, every time you meet, you must do this in remembrance of me. I don't think that's the instruction. Otherwise, we would be disobedient and not doing it every week. And I think that the the temptation in doing it every week is that it becomes rote. Uh, like if, if it is every week we, we do this activity, then you're tempted to not actually reflect and you're tempted to not actually humbly you know, approach the the altar and and really think about where you are, uh, like you said, positionally uh, before before Christ. And I, 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 we don't want that. We want it to be special, and we want it to be a time where people reflect on where they're at, seek forgiveness from the Lord, seek restoration from other members of the body, and move forward in a healthy and united way. That's that's the answer that I usually you nailed give. it. Yep. No, I, I fully agree with that answer. Um, because I, I, I really want uh, it to be one of those moments that is special that we do 
really take time to reflect. There's a lot of ways as a body that we, you know, the, the word there for koinonia, right? We share life. Um, I think there's many ways and many facets in which fellowship works within the body. Uh, it's when we partner together in ministry and in mission. That's koinonia. It's when we fellowship together and and we do sit over a meal and we share life together. That's koinonia, the accountability in a church. You know, all, there's just so many ways and facets that uh, we share together, and the Lord's Supper is is one of those. And I want it, you know, the reason we kind of have a cadence to it where it's not every single week, but we try not, it, not to let it get too far out either is because we do want to continually go back and remember. Mm. Um, I think it's why every year, I mean, if you just go back and look at the Israelites' calendar, I mean, that was the design. That was the purpose that they were continually throughout the year having facets of remembrance because our present faith many times is built on our past faith and where we've seen God work and we've seen God move and we remember those moments. How many times did he say, you know, stack the stones so that generations following will come back and they'll remember. Um, The greatest danger for us is to forget. I just think there are many ways for us to do that, whether it's baptism, whether it's the Lord's Supper, um, whether it is just living life together in Bible study, you know, week in and week out where we're gathering as the saints. Um, but I, 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 I like the cadence that we have in it because I think that's exactly what it does. It doesn't allow it to become rote or it doesn't allow it to become something that we just do at the end of every service and most people aren't even really thinking about it anymore. Um, and uh, there's just a balance, I think, that needs to be there. Yeah, I think I think the challenge, right, is like even if we think about the celebrations, you know, of of the Israelites, like even though there was never a season that went by that didn't have some particular celebration to remember God o- over, you know, centuries and millennia, like the tendency becomes like this is just the thing that we do and that's what we just finished reading in John chapter 8 right like all right. Of these people are there to celebrate the feast of tabernacles and they're depicting Christ and and an old testament prophecy of exactly who he is and yet missing that he's right in front of them and i think we got to be careful too like we we have to recognize that like that is our own tendency as as well no matter what the cadence is uh, that we're we tend to be a forgetful people, and we tend to, you know, avoid introspection. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this going into this week is so that if you're listening, that you you have an opportunity. You know now that that six days from now we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper. You're not going to walk in and be surprised. Uh, do it in a worthy manner. Look look at your life. Look at the areas where Christ wants to provide you freedom from uh, from the places that you're stuck and wants to move you forward in uh, in restoration and love and and in unity with our other brothers and sisters. And uh, take the time this week to make those things right. So uh, tune in next week to, to catch up with us again on the M5 podcast. And until then, don't forget that last M... Go and make disciples.